Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's open up to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Lord's day. Thank you that we can come and fix our mind on you and the things above and on your word. It's been a busy week. We've been pulled in so many different directions, and, and now it's good, uh, it's good and right for us to just sit uh, before your word and be refreshed and rebuked and taught. And so, Father, we pray that your word would dwell within us richly and that you would... Um, Strengthen us for the week to come. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, you remember the last thing from the previous chapter. That chapter that had the comparison between Hagar and Sarah as the two covenants. Right? We had that co- comparison between Hagar, the bondwoman, and Sarah, the free woman. And the last thing that the apostles said at the end of the previous chapter was, So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Right? The children of the bondwoman corresponding to Sinai, corresponding to the works of the law, corresponding to salvation through meritorious effort. And then on the other side is the free woman that corresponds to um, the promise, right? And that salvation that comes through faith, that justification is on the basis of faith, and that righteousness comes to us that way, not through meritorious works. All of that has been the message of the book of Galatians um, up to this point, and it will continue further. So the topic of verse 1 of chapter 5 is now freedom. Or liberty. Liberty. What is our liberty in Christ? What is our freedom in Christ? And, um, and that's what the first verse talks about. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so what freedom is being spoken of in that verse? Verse 1 of chapter 5. Any ideas on 
how the apostle is using that word freedom or liberty, whatever word we want to use. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I don't think that's the context. Um, but certainly this would have an impact on that. Yeah. Okay, freedom from the slavery of sin. That generically would be the right answer, I would say. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be um, free from the tyranny of sin? And, and I would want to tweak that a little bit more and say free from the tyranny of that which defines sin, right? Freedom from the tyranny of the law, right? Because the law comes in and condemns, and that, that is its purpose, is to reveal sin. And so, um, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So, generically, we could say that that freedom is freedom from the tyranny of the law. We no longer live under that tyrant, the law. It doesn't mean we disregard the law. It doesn't mean we throw it out. But as far as our standing before God and our justification and, and whether or not God is for us, that's, that is not on the basis of the keeping of the law. But again, what does that mean? Um, what does it mean for you day in, day out to have been set free from the tyranny of the law? I mean, it's not a thought you have every day, probably. Oh, boy, I'm gr grateful I've been set free from the tyranny of the law today. We just don't often go there. You know, we, we think of what we have in Christ. We don't think of the freedom that we have in Christ or what we've been set free from. And so, what is this freedom? And I'm just looking for off-the-cuff answers. What does this freedom look like on a daily basis for the Christian? Any thoughts? Okay. We no longer have to keep the ceremonial law. That's right. It's, um, it's abrogated in Christ. It's done away with. There's no reason to return to it. It's powerless. It's meaningless. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. What was the first thing you said? Gutsy? Yeah. Yeah, you, now you're start, we're starting to get there a little bit, at least what I'm aiming for. When we... What, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's helpful. That's helpful because if we're motivated by um, fear, terror, tyranny, then our obedience is kind of like, if I have to, you know, I guess I'll, I, if I have to, I'll do it. But if you've been set free from the tyranny of the law, 
then your obedience becomes uh, serving a father whom, who has been so gracious to you, right? Serving a father who has forgiven all of your sins is much different than serving a father you think is a harsh taskmaster, right? Who, who, perfects perf- who expects perfect obedience before you're right with him. Right? No, we, that, that is not what happens. That's semi-Pelagianism, that's Roman Catholicism, that's every religion outside of the Christian religion. No, we, we have been justified solely on the work of Christ. Sins forgiven, gone, done away with. Our obedience then does not rise because we want to fill up the gap between the grace of God and our merit however much it's supposed to be, right? And if you don't, God is going to crush you like a grape. No, there is no gap, right? If you are in Christ Jesus, your sins have been forgiven you, right? And all of your sins' future have been forgiven you. You are justified in the sight of God, and now your obedience becomes a response as an adopted child to a father. You are... You are rejoicing that you can, that he has done, he's taken away the tyranny, the curse, the weight, the, everything that kept you apart. He's done all of that, and now it's, okay, out of gratitude we obey the Lord. Calvin says this, and I thought it was put rather punchily. This word, liberty, implies that we may walk before God with all confidence that he will always be merciful to us. Even if we are guilty of many wrongdoings, we know that they will be forgiven in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? In respect to our justification, that has to be what gives us strength every morning. Right? My sins have been dealt with, all of them. There's no more, there, there is no more sin. I'm in Christ Jesus. And so, um, I guess I would call it uh, that bodacious sort of faith, right? Again, that we've talked about. And so, that's why Christ set us free. It was so that we could walk in that freedom. So we could walk not as those who like wondered if God is for me or if God is against me. It seems like today he's against me and maybe tomorrow he'll be for me. And then if I do this, he'll be against me. But even now I've done something and now I feel like, you know, he's for me. And it's like this constant jockeying between is God for me or against me? based upon my works, and that needs to be cast out of our minds. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified. Your sins have been dealt with. It's really wonderful. That's freedom, right? The previous paradigm is not freedom to have to be like God is, you know, does he love me? He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me and just kind of back and forth, back and forth, depending on what I've done or said or not done or not said, right? But justification comes by faith alone in Christ alone, okay? And that is true freedom. 
And so he says to them, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject, subject again to a yoke of slavery, right? Don't go back. Why would you want to go back to slavery? You know, why would you want to give up that freedom? Why would you want to say um, grace plus circumcision, for instance, you know? And when he's talking about circumcision here, you know, he's not actually talking about the act of circumcision. He's using circumcision as a synecdoche, as a part for the whole. It's, it's um, the ceremonies, the law. He's, it, it's, it's taking that place. And so, how were they going back to this yoke of slavery? Well, verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Christ will be of no benefit to you. So if you're listening to these Judaizers who are telling you, let's bring back some Moses, let's work it in, Christ will then be of no value to you. Now, doesn't that seem like overstatement? I mean, doesn't it seem like overstatement? All they want to do is bring in some of the food laws and some of the, you know, rituals and, and these things, but... but it seems crazy that he would say, well, you've been severed from Christ. Can't they just have a Jewish-flavored Christianity? Well, there, yeah, there isn't. There's the faith and there's not faith. <laughs> you know, there's not a Jewish-flavored Christianity and a Christianity. Um, there is Christianity. Right, and so behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, why can he say that? Why does he say that? Thoughts. You're depending on the law? Sandy? Yeah, if you leave a gap, if justification is not solely on the basis of faith in the finished work of Christ, if you leave some sort of gap, you have to fulfill that gap. And you are completely incapable of it, you wicked sinners. <laughs> That's how bad we are, okay? We sin. We sin. We, we, we couldn't possibly try to fulfill it is, it, the smallest gap we could conceive of at some point in our life we would break, right? Because we have indwelling sin. Even after regeneration, we have indwelling sin in us, right? And we go the wrong way, okay? Those sins are forgiven, but they're sins nonetheless, right? And so the minute... The minute you bring in one regulation, you've just killed yourself because you can't do it. You can't keep it. You really can't. I mean, the, the Pharisees tithed their dill. You know, there'd be some day that would come along where you had a recipe that called for a lot of dill. And you would take out of your tithe for your food. 
and you'd be condemned to hell if you're justified by your works, right? I mean, that's the sort of, that's, that's what he's saying. There cannot be this gap. And this has been Roman Catholic theology through the ages, right? They see justification as, as synergistic. It is, yes, it's the grace of Christ, but it is also your works coming along. And whatever gap is left, then Jesus fills that gap, right? And we say, no, 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 no. If any gap exists, we will make a mess of it. We will terribly destroy it. So Christ will be of no benefit to you, he says. I mean, think of these people who are contemplating these circumcision. And, and the Apostle Paul comes in and says, look, if you do this, Christ has no value for you. No benefit will come from this. If any part of your salvation, if any part of your salvation is by works, then you better get to work. But what you're going to find is that Christ has no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Okay. They must keep the whole law. They can't pick and choose, right, what laws they're going to keep, right? Who, why do they get to determine, I mean, who gets to determine which ceremonial laws are going to be part of their justification, which are not? And Paul's like, well, you can't, you can't split up the law like that. It's the whole thing. And so, in other words, you've got to be perfect. You've got to keep all the commandments of the Word. You have to keep them all, or if it's of no benefit for you. You can never attain to it. You can keep trying and trying and trying, but if the law has a place, then it requires perfection. And the, the that's, that's the slavery of the law, right? It requires perfection. It's always been the slavery of the law. It absolutely requires perfect adherence. Who has kept the law? No man has kept the law ever, Okay? No man. The God-man did, but not any man. And so, so you can never attain. You can keep trying, but you can never attain. And then the other, the other oppression of the law is that it can't bring forgiveness and it can't bring power to overcome sin. Right? It condemns. It tells you you're wrong. It tells you your failures. But it does not provide power to obey it. It just says, no, 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 no. But it doesn't provide the power to, to obey it. It simply marks out the rule and condemns us when we break it. And so what is freedom again? Freedom from the law's demands. We do not obey in order to gain God's approval. We have that in Christ. We have freedom from the law's condemnations. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. We have peace with God being justified by faith. We're no longer slaves of sin. We have freedom to enjoy, love, and please God. 
We have been justified, therefore we are able to truly rejoice, truly relax, truly enjoy God. Romans 8.15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We do not, here's, here's something that I think is helpful. We do not, you know, and, and these things are hard to talk about, and I'll sound like an antinomian because we're talking about justification, right? I'll sound like an antinomian, and I don't mean to be, do we all know what antinomian means? Antinomian means you are against the law, like the law has absolutely no place in the Christian life. You don't ever, even, even the Ten Commandments, let's sin so that grace may abound. Let's sin so that God has more sins to forgive. That's antinomianism, right? But when I'm talking about justification, it kind of sounds like I'm being antinomian. Well, so be it. There's no way around it. But remember, lodge everything I'm saying in justification. And here's what I want to say. We do not need to be burdened in our consciences with the burden of imperfect conformity. We don't need to be burdened in our conscience because we are not perfectly conforming to God's law. Some of you, that drives you crazy because you're law keepers, you're list makers, Right? You're, if I do this, this will happen. Some of you are more antinomian. Some of us are more antinomian, right? Rather than law keeping, you know? And, and that's a whole, different, a whole different issue that we're not going into. But let me say that again. We do not need to be burdened in our consciences with, the, the, un, the, with seeing our imperfect conformity. That sounds antinomian. <laughs> but that is the Christian life. It's like, I have sinned again, I need the blood of Christ. It's not, I have sinned again, I better get my life in order. It's, I have sinned again, I need to rely on the blood of Christ. It's the only place I have forgiveness. And so we honestly, even though we go on sinning as Christians, we enjoy the freedom of complete forgiveness in Christ. Or we don't. We often struggle with that, right? Because we begin comparing ourselves to others and we begin, um, we begin uh, weighing our works. And we begin saying, well, I've done this and this and this and I haven't done that, that and that. And so God's against me again. God is not for me. God is against me. But the radical thing is, is if, our, if you are in Christ Jesus, you've been set free from even that burden of imperfect conformity to the laws of God. Okay? Am I over-speaking? <laughs> have we done enough? Some of you are always asking you, have I done enough? I mean, have I, have I, have I, um, have I, kept enough of the laws? Have I, have I done enough to please God? 
Have I done enough to please God? Right? And through Christ you have, but not, not on your own. You haven't done enough. You may have tried to do a lot, but you haven't done nearly enough, and everything you've done has been spattered with your own sin. Even that needs to be brushed and cleaned and washed in the blood of Christ, all of your works, right? And so, you know, it's, if you have faith, you have done enough. If you are in Christ, you have done enough. There is nothing else to do. Does this sound crazy? There's nothing else to do. You have God's favor. He looks upon you as an adopted son. He puts his name on you. You take his name on you in baptism, right? He, he owns you. You are in Christ. There's like an organic union between you and Christ. And so, um, some, of, some of us live with the tyranny of our conscience. And the devil loves to tap into that and condemn you and condemn you and condemn you and say, no, you haven't done enough. No, you've done this. How could you do that? No Christian would ever think that thought. No Christian would ever do this. No Christian would ever, ever leave undone those things. And the devil comes along and does that. And what is that to do other than to forget the doctrine of justification? That's what that is. You're forgetting how you're justified. You're forgetting how you're made right with God. And that's through believing that Jesus rose from the dead. That's all it takes. And so that should make you very happy. See, striving. Cease striving in regard to your justification. If you have faith in Christ, you are holy, you are perfect, you are perfected because of Christ's perfection. You are adopted into the household, and God, God will, uh, will have you there, will keep you there, Okay? But it seems like, you know, it, it, it's always our temptation to return to slavery, just like the Egyptians. The Egyptians are set free from the tyranny of Egypt. You remember, they, you know, they had to produce bricks. And the Pharaoh was getting mad and taking away their means of production, and expecting them to have more output right? And it was misery. Misery to the point of uh, conflict, murder. And, um, and then they are set free. They see miracles. They have God guiding them in the wilderness by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. The Red Sea splits in two. The whole army of Pharaoh is destroyed in a moment. 
And almost immediately they say, have you brought us out here to kill us? We want the garlic and leeks of Egypt. And so that's the Galatian Christians who knew about justification by faith alone, who rejoiced in it, who were saying, Abba, Father, and were just rejoicing in it. One guy comes along and starts saying that, you know, Moses. And they're like, oh, the garlic and the leeks. Tangible things we can do with our hands because faith is all just like non-tangible. You don't see it, you know? And so it's hard. It's hard to go on. But we, um, even after we understand the doctrine of justification, we go through these phases in our life where we... we um, where our pride flares up and we begin to think that, no, it's right that I have some part in my justification. It's right that I have some part in my salvation. You know, and and how does that look? When we do that, how does that look? Can anybody think of an example? Sure. Sure. Sure, it's not. It's not legalism in that context. I mean, I'm, there's still obedience to the Lord, and, and that's not what I'm talking about, but as far as our justification, there are ways that we think we can win the approval of God with something other than faith. I think, yeah, I, I think one of the things that Reformed, reformed believers... Um, have a tendency to turn to is the sacraments as means of justification. Right? We're like, man, that ex opere operato view of the Roman Catholic Church is kind of cool. You know, we don't believe that, but, but what happens in the sacraments? Something has to happen in the sacraments. And then you subtly work in this doctrine of baptismal regeneration. And it's like, oh, okay. So our justification, rather than our baptism being a sign and seal of justification, is actually part of our justification. right? And so we turn to these signs and seals, which are meant to authenticate and, and point toward the reality, and we make them the reality. Right? That is a way where we add a work or go back to Egypt when it comes to our justification. Right? Anytime, anytime, and then Pado Communion, I would say, is the same, is the same situation. Pado Communion is the practice of very young children, just weaned children coming to the table based not upon their faith or profession, but based upon their baptism. So as soon as they're baptized and in the covenant uh, community, they come to the Lord's table before they demonstrate any um, uh, fruits or faith. And that is to return to Egypt in this sense, that you, you're removing faith 
They don't have to have faith. They just have to be baptized. You're removing faith from them coming to the Lord's table. Right? And so, so they're at the covenant meal, chomping on the covenant meal, haven't given a de- demonstration of their faith at all. And, um, and the parents are rejoicing that, that their children are full members in the, the church saved and usually yoked along with the pedo communion is this quasi baptismal regeneration view so as soon as you're baptized you're regenerated therefore you must come to the table it would be a disobedience not to come to the table at that point whereas we say there is first corinthians 11 in the bible and they ought to pay better attention to that um and so that's theologically ways that we return to Egypt. But for all of us, it's, it's kind of like we, faith is hard because it's not tangible. Faith is hard because it's faith. Faith is hard because you can't, um, you can't check off the number of times you've done this or that or how consistent you've been in your Bible reading or how you know, how many times you've spent in prayer longer than a half hour this month, right? All those things that we think build up merit with God. The Roman Catholic Church still calls them days of obligation, right? And so it's clearly, I mean, even the way it's stated, it's like you have to do this work. <laughs> yep. Yep, good example. Good example. I mean, they're really trusting that, they, that God is for them because they've accomplished those things. Right? I think they're justified on the basis of those works. And then, which God never commanded them to do, but then on the other hand, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together and and the bride of Christ is created so that we might have a mother within which we can nurse and grow, right? And that's like, uh, nah, not that rule, you know, not that thing that God has told me is good. But again, I don't want to sound antinomian by saying all this, but it is helpful to us who may tend toward legalism or antinomianism just to fix in our minds just exactly how radical justification is. How radical it is that on the basis of faith, your sins are dealt with entirely, okay? Yeah. Sure. Well, and it, it just seems to be a, a sort of slow movement toward meritorious works. It's kind of like this faith thing, you know, it, we, we want things we can see and touch and taste and handle. And so give me stations of the cross that I can work through, you know, or give me, give me a, a, a church calendar that allows me to... Um, baseline 
meet the requirements for being in church. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, those things, I mean, those are good examples. I think we've gotten somewhere in this. Any other examples come to mind? Maybe from yourself and your own temptations and how, what things you do when you're feeling like you're not justified and what things you do to try to fill the gap. When you forget to rejoice in Christ and the radical forgiveness you have in Him through faith, what do you try to stuff in the, in the joints? Yep. Yep. Yeah, sure. You've got to do the work of reminding yourself of these truths. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, it just makes me think that one of the reasons not to sin is that the devil will come away and steal your joy and your justification. You know, he'll latch on to your failure and he'll convince you that you're not a Christian. The, this is from one of the commentaries that I was reading in preparation. Look into the heart of the natural man, and you will find either a Pharisee or a libertine. The Pharisee thinks that he is in favor with God because he keeps God's rules. He earns his salvation. He's proud of his accomplishment. It feeds his pride. He boasts of his righteousness. The libertine, or the antinomian, thinks that he is in favor with God, not because he keeps the rules, but because God has no rules, or at least no rules that he fails to fulfill. So even if he is a philanderer, a thief, a liar, he is confident because he is not as bad as a mass murderer. Ironically, the libertine stands upon the same foundation as the Pharisee. They have different conceptions of God and of God's standards. But they both think that they fulfill the standards, be they high or low, and are in that sense of self-righteousness, self-deceived and enslaved. The Pharisee is enslaved by his religion. The libertine is enslaved by his sin. Both are in bondage. Both are in bondage. That's helpful. Clearly, the problem in Galatia was Pharisaism, not libertinism. And so, um, <clears throat> so can it creep back in that we have God's favor because of the rules we keep? Of course. <laughs> of course. Verse 2 to 3, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. And so we could go to Acts 15. This becomes a huge issue in all the churches. We go to Acts 15, and Acts 15 we learn that, you know, these, these Judaizers were teaching the church that in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised. Okay? And the, the council gets together and adjudicates this. 
and determine that, well, for the sake of, for the sake of respecting one another, here's some things you can do, but faith, salvation, justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. Verse 4, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. (laughs) Those are the strongest words I think the apostle uses in this whole book. You have been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. What you thought you had, you never had. And so just one last, one last um, one last section on getting you to think about how perhaps you um, fall into the Pharisaical category. What are you trusting in? What indication would there be that you may be trusting in something other than Christ's completed work? Here's what I think will indicate to you that something's off and that you're not trusting in, rejoicing in, and enjoying your justification in Christ. You will have a lack of joy. That, I, that, that may, in, these are just indicators of you may be getting, getting off track. You may, a lack of joy, a fearfulness of evil, right? An utter fearfulness of evil, a lack of peace, not being settled, not being, not enjoying the peace that you should in Christ, anxiety, a defensiveness, you're not correctable, you're not teachable, there's a lack of humility. And so every time somebody says something to you, your posture is to defend yourself, no matter how ugly you've been. Defensiveness. And I would say another indication that you may be trusting in something other than Christ's completed work is an intense censoriousness of other people. Why? Because you're trying to run the race in your own strength. And when somebody outdoes you, you've got to drag them down. You're not going to have your justification like, you know, running 50% of what somebody else's justification is running. No way. So we become intensely censorious or critical of other people when we are not resting in the completed work of Christ on our behalf. Resting in the stupendous thought that our sins are forgiven. That's when we get get ratcheted up and get angry with other people. To know the bankruptcy of your own righteousness and rely upon an alien righteousness should destroy all the things I listed. Lack of joy, fearfulness of evil, lack of peace, anxiety, defensiveness, censoriousness. And then 5 and 6, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Faith. 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 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith expressed in love, particularly love toward God. But even faith expressed in your love toward your neighbor. All right, we got to stop. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his glorious work on our behalf. And Father, we are so easily mixed up and confused. And the indwelling sin within us 
um, seems to reign at times, and Father, the, the devil comes along and accuses us, and we begin to believe his lies, and Father, we, we are tempted to return to Egypt and, um, and live in slavery, keeping one tiny little law that we know we can keep, but even that we can't keep. And so, Father, we pray that you would put on our minds joy, a full understanding and joy of our justification in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to do this. We need your help. We need the Spirit's work in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.